Support for this podcast and the following message come from Internet Essentials from Comcast. Connecting more than 6 million low-income people to low-cost, high-speed Internet at home. So students are ready for homework, class, graduation, and more. Now they're ready for anything. I'm Bob Boylan with a Plus One podcast from All Songs Considered. The first time I saw the soulful singer Moses Sumney was in a church in Iceland. The Los Angeles-based singer was laying down loops with his guitar, and the sounds that he made and the songs that he sang made me eager to hear an entire album from this talented man. In the three years since, he's played with James Blake, Sufjan Stevens, Solange, David Byrne. He's also about to release his first album. It's called A Romanticism. And his maturity and thoughtfulness throughout these 11 songs made this album totally worth the wait. I wanted to try something different for this interview and the release of A Romanticism. So Moses Sumney and I listened to the entire record together nonstop. And as the record played, we had a conversation inspired by what we heard. He was in New York. I was in Washington, D.C. When I hit the first cut called Man on the Moon Reprise, a fascinating discussion unfolded around A Romanticism, a record Moses says is about lovelessness as a sonic dreamscape. So you kind of started with the title, didn't you? Isn't that the one of the ways this record got going? Oh yeah. Yeah, I um, I picked the name of the album first and then wrote the songs to the name, uh, but really to the concept. That's such a strange thing to do. That so, what was in your head? You you came up with this word, a romanticism. Well, I want to say that I came up with it, but I didn't. I found it on the internet. Yeah, but the dictionary doesn't know it. The dictionary doesn't know it yet. You you know what really happened was I found it, and it it perfectly encapsulated how I was feeling at the time and how and and what I had been thinking about, uh, but hadn't been able to name. And then I realized, I quickly was like, wait, has anyone else called their album this? And I was like, no. And so I swooped. <laughs> but then I was like, I hope no one else does it in the next three years. Um, but it's not as popular <laughs> as I thought it was going to be. So, Let's listen to a little bit of this. This is the kind of the second cup, the first real song on the record. It's called Don't Bother Calling. I'm not a body, the body is but a shell. Somebody but suffering is suffering still no grasp on reality the world is a wonderland scene I don't Singer, here, don't bother calling. I'll call you. Who? Who are you singing to? <laughs> Debt collectors, primarily. But, um, it's just like, oh God. <laughs> um, the the narrator of the song is singing 
to a, a potential uh, lover or romantic interest um, who's not just calling, but probably calling for questions such as, what are we? What is this? Where are we going? When are we getting married? Etc. You need a solid, but I'm made of liquid. That is such a beautiful line. Thank you. When, when you write, okay, so you start with a record title, right? Yeah. Uh, and things begin to unfold because you've got to start someplace. Do you have a sense when you write? a song like some writers write a song to find the meaning in their life and who they are yeah. and some people have a real clear vision of who they are and and the song and the songwriting is a document uh, or a, a reaffirmation of who they are mm. wow. where do you fall yeah this was definitely a, a self-discovery record trying to uh, figure out who i am but also what my place is in the world and with this tune don't bother calling especially my, my place in the universe and and how i relate to other people and and so i there are many things about myself that i know and i understand but i i always want music to be in an interrogation an interrogation of self and an interrogation of society and so that's what i was trying to do with this music uh calling forth things about myself that were uncomfortable and, and questioning them and then and then saying what does this mean what does this mean for me and for the people around me. It's all done so gently. <laughs> I mean, yeah. there's not, it, the, the catharsis or, or the release or the self-discovery doesn't happen with anger. Every As we go into the next tune, uh, this tune is plastic. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's all... It's... It's cerebral. It's surreal. Uh, I immediately, it's. I, I love music and uh, that has a vibe that you walk in a room and it's on, and all of a sudden the room changes. And that's mm. what this music does, mm-hmm. and it does it as an album. It doesn't flip like side B of the record is. <laughs> it's not. Gonna, doesn't have the punk side. It. 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 it, it ha- <laughs> it's a compliment for me to say that it has a Thank very you. samey sound to it, in that it has a vibe to it. Is how I mean. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you say that because I don't. That wasn't fully intentional. I I tried my best to make everything feel really connected and and for the songs to flow into each other, but um, I it was a challenge to me because in my head a lot of the songs were quite different from each other sonically, and it goes to some territory that's a bit different. But definitely my voice and a few production things um, are are connecting thread. But yeah, a lot of that's accidental, I suppose as well. Let's listen to a little plastic here.
when I first heard the line, my wings are made of plastic, I think that you're saying to this person um, that you're that you're not real, that you're... That's what plastic means to me. Mm-hmm. Not that yeah. it's fragile or, if not, you know, not you're not made of porcelain, but mm-hmm. you're made of something that's artificial or man-made or... What, what yeah, I think line? it's a... I'm, I'm talking about strength and okay. talking about strength as a performance uh, and just saying, like, yo, I know I, I seem, like, really... Um, impenetrable or impervious but um that is an an act <laughs> essentially wow it's confession do you and do you feel like that is that a younger you or a current you or a- that was definitely a much much younger me um and i've you know i've i've obviously been trying to channel uh sensitivity sensitivity and, and portray that but I think that really I was thinking of beyond myself, but a, a lot of artists or, or people who operate to to any level in the public eye, uh, there is an amount of, I think, strength that is supposed um, for you by others. Uh, and I wanted to, to address that, like the idea that like, oh, I can't be, I can't be sensitive because I, I seem to be yeah, incredibly strong. So that yeah, that was a, that was a younger me, but it carries through for sure. And and should more and more fame come, um, and you're faced with more and more people in your life and people looking up to you, do you feel strong enough to face that? Because this album's gonna, I think, gonna get a lot of give you a lot of attention, and that and that stuff that happens when you become known is. Is creepy, weird, and and mm. shakes all all the innards up inside of your uh, whatever might be your uh, insecure self. If, mm. if that makes any sense. Yeah, um, that's an interesting question. I, I who knows what will happen, <laughs> but I feel pretty prepared. I feel pretty ready, uh, and I'm I'm really honest with myself and with other people. So I know how to be like back up. <laughs> what are we listening to now? This is called Quarrel. Listen to a bit. Tell us a little about the writing of the song. Uh, you talked earlier in the song uh, about uh, um, in morning we'll reveal the spoils of night, uh, yeah. the walls of Jericho, like a lies a heart of stone. Yeah, I was thinking a lot about the Battle of Jericho, <laughs> which is like uh, you know an, an old biblical tale, um, um, and I, w- I was thinking about about privilege and and power and and the idea that like two people in a relationship 
uh, can be coming from different ends of the spectrum when it comes to societal power and that in our interpersonal relationships we like to think of ourselves as equals and as individuals but what we don't often realize is that we have um, either the weight of the world on our shoulders depending on how much privilege we bring to the table or or the support of the world to back us up um, uh, yeah and so I was just kind of kind of trying to address the uh, the idea that like you know two people can be equals when it, like you know in the bedroom or in the, in the at the dining room table when out in the world they are not what about in uh, for example in a schoolroom when I mean you're somebody who's <coughs> sort of traveled the world and as mm. a Correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that um, you went to live in Ghana for a while, where yep. your family is from, and you were a kid with an American accent, and mm. that wasn't easy. Did you feel a sense of privilege then, or you know, I suffered because of my privilege. Mm -hmm. I, I, I didn't, I was not, I didn't have the uh, faculty to acknowledge that I had, you know, Western privilege or that having been able to travel. You were how but old then? I was 10 years old. I lived there from 10 to 16. And I, that's actually a, a good parallel to draw to this song because I was pretty like heavily oppressed by on an individual level. By your own peers, yeah. Yes, by my peers, by my classmates, and a bit by my teachers. But like <laughs> what I didn't realize then uh, was that I was, uh, I, I was coming from a place of privilege and that like ultimately I would have it better out in the world because just simply because I have an American passport. This song is still quarrel, and it takes a shift somewhere mm -hmm. in the, around it's the It's a bit of a reprise. Uh, I'm wondering how how all of that stuff that you talk about with school and peers and children, of course, you come back to the states and you deal on as a in a different place in American life. As mm. what, what goes through your brain? I mean, that, that's a big flip, right? Um, in terms of what? Uh, well, in terms of well, you. I mean, you you sort of hinted at it, which is that in some ways you you're but privilege, having this flip. I have varying levels of privilege yeah. based on where I am right. in the world. Yeah. Yes, as an American, as, well, a, as unusual. a... Yeah, definitely. It's fascinating. As a black American, my experience is, is quite different, obviously. Uh, it's like once, depending on where I land, where the plane lands, <laughs> wow. uh, the level of privilege is different. But it's just kind of fascinating. Um, I think that everyone uh, has privilege. Everyone. And... and at a varying degree depending on who you are what you are and where you are it, it changes like most things in this world it's dynamic um and so i'm appreciative of the perspective that i have uh from both sides of the pond coming up there's a there's a, a piece that i found i, I went when I listened to this record the first time, I went back and listened to it again and again. It's very short. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's this moment coming up. It's a little piece called Stoicism, and uh, it's as a parent, it, it really is this beautiful uh, moment. It's about your mom. I'm going to let this uh, let this play.
so as a mild-mannered child, my mom would drop me off in our family's second-hand Mitsubishi caravan. And I would glance back before my descent to mutter, I love you. In turn, she'd nod her head and turn to the road ahead and sigh. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so dramatic. <laughs> oh, but, uh, poignant, beautiful. Like, Thank you. <laughs> but if, if anybody who might have been driving didn't catch what just happened, there's a, there's a moment where you, you just... Uh, uh, Mom would drop you off and uh, and glance back, and uh, before uh, you walked out out of the van, you'd say, I, I, "I love you," and she'd turn around and say, "Thank you." You know that never. Ha- I mean, it hardly happens between parent and child. I'm gonna say this. It's, mm, it's, it's really. I I think it's a rare thing, at least in this country. I don't know. <laughs> at least I. I, I you know, yeah. That I acknowledgement, think the acknowledgement and verbally acknowledgement. There's, there are more often uh, gestures, but this was, but the verbal acknowledgement was so powerful to me. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a hard one to talk about. <laughs> Say that one more time. It's a hard one to talk about. You were very close to your mom, obviously. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. I mean, kind of. Oh, okay. Kind of. Mm. <laughs> I'm like, hmm. <laughs> should, we, should we let this one go? We should let this one go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the next song on the record's called Lonely World. You want to listen to that? <laughs> How poignant. Perfect. <laughs> Let's <we> go. go. <laughs> I was nice. talked at all about how the heck you do this. I mean, when I saw you in a church in Iceland three years ago, it was mm. you in a loop pedal. Remind me, was it a keyboard or guitar maybe? Did There's a guitar. Hand, right? Yeah, yes. and, guitar, yeah. And that was it. So what's going on here to make this record? Who's on it? Oh, man. So, there's just so much. So many people. I worked with um, <clears throat> a few... I co-produced the whole record with a few different people. And so the story is different on each song. But on this song particularly, um, I worked with this producer from Los Angeles named George Lenev, who saw me play at like Tex, like this little restaurant in LA. Like <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with it. No, I'm not, uh, but I love it. It's tiny. <laughs> in like 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I there's just a few songs that needed to be bigger that needed to bring in 
some power. So there's like a horn player on this. Thundercat plays bass on this. Ian Chang from Sunlux plays drums oh, on this. Greatest song. drummer on planet Earth. Yeah, I truly believe he is the greatest <laughs> drummer on, on planet Earth. And it took us a few. It took us a few people to get it right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to kind of, you know, the song's called Lonely World. But I wanted to explore like what happens in the recess of your mind when you're alone. Like how crazy it can sound. Let's hear. You, you talk about this record as sort of a, a, a concept album about lovelessness as a sonic dreamscape. Yeah. And this is the sonic, beautiful sonic dreamscape, for sure. Yeah, thanks. This one's like like a bit of a nightmare. It's like one foot into a nightmare and one foot not. <laughs> but the next song is going to be about making out in a car. <laughs> Which is a dream. It's my dream. Your dream as in desire or your dream as in... <laughs> <laughs> so this is, past, this is my favorite pastime. <laughs> not many words in this song. You want to just say them before they happen? I'm not trying to go to bed with you. I just want to make out of my car. <laughs> That's the lyric. <laughs> and who's... Oh, there it is. True story. <laughs> you know, every yes. <laughs> I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah just very true. <laughs> the um. <laughs> This is the hit on the record, by the way. (laughs) 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 How much of that is is you and just a loop pedal, or or is this? Well, that's all done. That's all done, like um, like straight into a computer. But it's a lot of vocal layers. Mm -hmm. I'm very annoying to record because there are <laughs> heaps and heaps of vocal layers and this song also has heaps of flute and clarinet layers as well <laughs> so would heaps be more than eight tracks of vocal oh yeah definitely uh-huh. because if there's there's maybe on that part i think there's maybe six or seven parts you know including octaves and then there has to be a double or triple for each voice and that's just in that section you know and then this current section you know, it's the same stories, like probably like four, at least four parts. So, definitely more than eight tracks. I mean, sometimes I get up to more, like 50 tracks of just vocals. There's little nuances. Wow. 
I remember back in the analog days, uh, there was a group called 10CC. I don't know if you ever knew I them, love that. I love their song, I'm Not In Love, right? not to and be cliche. You know, <laughs> but you know how many vocal? I actually don't remember the number of how many vocals, but there was a number going around that was triple figure of, really? of multi-tracking vo- voice there. Uh, someone will correct me for the real number, but it was an awful lot. It was an awful lot more than I'd ever heard laid down on a oh, wow. track before. Yeah, it's. I think it's really worth it. But sometimes you're the only one who can notice the, the, how many layers there are, <laughs> and if it matters. This track mystified me. I had no idea what was going on. So uh, it's called The Cocoon-Eyed Baby. Mm -hmm. We scrawl unwritten law of the land on scroll that's rolled up and rolled in. The cocoon-eyed baby's swollen, clenched hand. A scream, raw and grotesque, that soon he learns to suppress. <laughs> and that took three months to do, right? A minute and nine seconds. I no, know. no, I'm just kidding. That was like the last song I made for the record. It's Is so right? funny. Yeah. So nothing linear about the writing of the music on this. No, not in terms of the arrangement. No, I I kind of figured out all the sync- sequencing afterward uh, but there's just so many songs that i cut that if there was ever like a linear arrangement that there just couldn't be what do we listen to now this is called doomed um it's the sunspot of the record love or the absence of romantic love and what it means to people you talk about the idea that we are such a culture based on pairs and and it's so deep in our dna even just going into a restaurant and there are a table for two and it's always set for i mean there's a table and it's always set for two yeah Um, you think it's part of the important part of our existence or you think we overplay it or well, that's. I think that's what I'm asking, trying to figure out with this record. But it's everything that w- we are familiar with is an important part of our existence. But then I also feel like it has been overplayed. But we don't know any other way. And, and I think um, I think love is definitely important and necessary. It's a necessary part of the society. So this isn't a rejection of that, but it's a question of like how much of this is 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 genuine to our nature and how much of it, you know, is um, um, a political tool, a cultural tool for sameness. How much of it, um, you know, is patriarchal? <laughs> like, there's so many things that, or de- that I or wonder. Default. I mean, yeah. Just... I think that any time that there 
society suggests that there is one way to be or there is one thing uh, to strive toward, it should be questioned. And I, I just, I think that this record came out of a personal desire to see a more varied, a more diverse, dynamic way um, of discussing romantic love. Is that sort of, though, part of our privilege? And I say that ours as in a, you know, a country that you can pretty much be guaranteed you'll have a roof over your head, that, you know, food's going to be on the table, that, that we can think deeper about that kind of existence, whereas if you're just struggling day to day, a deep sort of thinking... I think that you can make the argument that, um, like, someone like me has more time to think about these things because of the privileges that I have, but I don't think that these are concerns that someone wouldn't have uh, just because they don't have as much economic privilege. I think that love is so universal and stretches across all cultures. Of course, I exist in Western society, so that is the framework from which I, I, uh, I don't know, explore my perspective, but you know, I have lived elsewhere and, and I think that an absence of love is uh, such a universal theme. Are you more often absent of love than not in your adult life these days. I love lots of things. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> and lots of people. That's great. That's great. And we're coming to a, a cut called Indulge Me. Is this the late night text you send your ex? <laughs> Basically. What says watch? It says, indulge me. Hey, do I still exist to you? Or do, do I still exist to anyone? Damn. Oh, yeah. 
are people like myself who uh, are so envious of this thing that you have, which is the voice. When, mm. when did you figure out that you could do this? Like in the last like two or three years. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, after people started writing about me and coming to my shows and asking me to play, um, and then at some point I couldn't ignore it. I was just like, oh, I, I guess I can sing. <laughs> but I didn't grow up singing, really, not publicly, so it, I was quite late to realize it was a thing. But, pe- but, but the fact that they heard you sing means that you, there was something in you that wanted to be performing did it oh yes my entire life I, <laughs> I, I wanted to it was the number one goal of my life but I didn't know if I was any good is the thing uh-huh. well this having heard your EP and, and other music that you've done the, the confidence at least you're fooling me if it's not confidence but the confidence that it is in uh, that's in these songs and in the singing is just beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, this record was definitely a turning point for me in that I, I finally was like, oh, okay, we can actually go for it vocally because I finally had the confidence to do so. You win the record on this, yeah? Yeah, this is like probably the most vocal song <laughs> it's just when it's a painting it's it's really just a painting um that's mostly wordless and it's got a vocal arrangement that yeah is reaching singers that inspired you who are the people who you sang along with um ella fitzgerald huge and brandy and where'd that come from because uh, most kids are whatever how old were you when i you was heard 16 ella? when i discovered ella fitzgerald that's when i started that's when we first had internet access <laughs> and i started going on youtube and i stumbled across her and i think that changed my life wow. um massively do you remember the song yeah, um, there's a there's a song called "Imagine My Frustration," huh. which I I've only actually seen in video form. And then there's um, well, the one note samba, which is yeah. just her scatting for six minutes. <laughs> those <laughs> those two like rocked me for sure. You drive your family crazy at a, a six at a sixteen year old age to trying to scat sing around the house. <laughs> you know, I sing. I definitely sing around the house, but I also like didn't <laughs> i would like close my door and oh, then like hide and then you know do that kind of things i don't think i drove them too crazy it sounds like a lot of your talent you kept to yourself well, i was really shy but then i was also kind of made to feel like you shouldn't <laughs> music come on let's be realistic like do something real with your life so i just kind of kept quiet because i didn't want to be discouraged that's an interesting thought yeah, I think it's the reason why I sing so softly, actually, uh, typically, is because I'm used to, like, kind of singing under my breath. Well, those things that can be discomforting, the things that can scare you and all that, all add up to, in this case, make a, gave you your style. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade it for the world, Bob. (laughs) (laughs) The final notes. That's beautiful. Thank you. That's my record. How long did it take to make this record? <laughs> Two mother effing long. It took uh, uh, three three years. It took three years to make, and it's 36 minutes. <laughs> to make three years to make 36 minutes of music. 12 minutes a year. 12 minutes a year, yeah. <laughs> There's just so much writing, so much writing that went into that. And when you say so much writing, that means so much tossing of writing, yeah? Oh my gosh. I mean, truly and honestly, in the past, in the last two months of making the record, I cut seven songs. <laughs> but there was, you know, trying to, thinking of the concept, writing towards that concept alone took a long time. And then really finding the words uh, and economizing those words, saying the most with as few words as possible, took a lot of time. And then sculpting the sound was really, was really the big thing that got me. Like, how do we make this sound? Like a dream. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> I hope so. I hope people fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. Really it's an honor. Quite beautiful. Moses Sumney's new album is called A Romanticism. It's coming out September 22nd on Jag Jaguar. I'm Bob Boylan for NPR Music. It's All Songs Considered. NPR podcasts are now available on every major platform. Check out all our shows at npr.org slash podcasts. That's npr.org slash podcasts.